Shalom Aleichem, welcome to the Schmooze, the Yiddish Book Center's podcast. I'm Lisa Newman, and today I'm visiting with Sam Zirum. Sam is a musicologist, music theorist, composer, and pianist. He is a chief editor of the International Journal of the Study of Music and Musical Performance, forthcoming, and he has held teaching positions at New York University and Brown University. In 2010, he founded the Joseph Akron Society, working together with musicians and scholars from over a dozen countries to revive the forgotten legacy of this brilliant musician. In this role, he has been editing and publishing first editions of Akron's manuscripts, works, um, and in addition, networking with musicians and fundraising. He's also worked as a music archivist, creating an online archive of rare Jewish classical scores at the website of the American Society for Jewish Music and Processing, sorting and cataloging thousands of manuscripts, published scores, and other archival music documents at the New York campus of Hebrew Union College. He's also an amateur polyglot with particularly strong interests in Yiddish, Russian, and the Scandinavian language, and we're proud to say he's an alum of the Yiddish Book Center Steiner Summer Yiddish Program. Welcome, Sam. Thanks. Great to have you here. I've been looking forward to this visit. Um, Thank you. I have uh, And uh, excited that you're actually the the first guest to launch this, what what Zeke and I hope to be, a uh, little sort of mini-series, as it were, podcast interviews. And uh, we've reached out to Yiddish Book Center alumni to get their recommendations on Yiddish and Jewish culture in their respective cities. So we we find you in uh, Jewish Rhode Island? Yes. Okay, a small state, but uh, one that I think has some interesting Jewishly related both history and cultural options, yes? Yeah, it certainly does. So let's begin. Where are you in Rhode Island? I'm in Providence, which is the capital of Rhode Island. Um, and, and what landed you there? Uh, my wife got a job here. Uh-huh. Um, She's a rabbi at the local conservative synagogue, and uh, so I was schlepped along, along with our, our toddler, uh-huh. and um, I'm still in the process of finishing my Ph.D. dissertation in musicology at New York University, but I'm, I mean, at this point, I've actually finished a full draft of my dissertation, and I'm just making revisions, and that I can do from anywhere, so, so we've been here for about almost two years, and I've been working from home and uh, my wife's been working. Excellent. So uh, if, if I think about Rhode Island, a tiny state, as I mentioned, um, mm-hmm. I know that the you know Truro Synagogue is there, and I wondered right. if that was a good sort of launching point, if you could tell me a little bit about the roots of Yiddish and Jewish culture in the state. Um, and I think listeners may be surprised that there is a deep history. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting, actually, um, that one of the earliest Jewish communities in the United States was in Rhode Island in, um, in Newport, which is where the Toro Synagogue is. Um, and uh, that's actually the oldest, as far as I know, it's the oldest synagogue in the United States that's still being used, that's been in continuous use. Correct. Um, it's the Toro Synagogue. Um, and I, I don't know exactly when it was uh, established, um, I'm looking online, I see that uh, first Jewish community was in 1658, so probably in 1658, I, I suppose, um, initially by Spartacus. Um, but the Jewish community in Providence actually didn't come until about two centuries later. In the mid-19th century, um, the first synagogue was established. And then 
between the mid-19th century and the beginning of the 20th century. Um, I'm just looking at this thing online. It's really interesting. Um, there were 23 separate synagogues established in Providence just within 50 years. Um, and, uh, you know, that was with the huge influx of Eastern European Jews um, during the late 19th century. Um, and then during the 20th century, it was mostly consolidated. Um, at this point, there's one large Reform temple, a large conservative synagogue, a large modern Orthodox synagogue, and then a whole bunch of little shtibloch, you know, a bunch of the little um, uh, Orthodox uh, synagogues of various stripes. Um, there are a couple of day schools. Um, there's a, a JCC, which actually isn't officially called the JCC. It's called the Jewish Alliance because um, it has in one building the Jewish Community Center. There's the early childhood center. There's a gym. There's the uh, Holocaust Museum and a research center. Um, the Rhode Island Historic Jewish Historical Society is there. Um, there's a mikvah there. There's you know all of these all of these things in in one place. Um, and one of the amazing things about the Providence Jewish community um, that I found is that all of these things are within walking distance of each other. Um, and as a result, so the Jewish community is is really very. Uh, it, it's a very close community, whether you go to the Reform Temple or the Conservative Synagogue or one of the many Orthodox communities, um, whether you're Shomer Shabbat or you're not Shomer Shabbat, you know, people pass each other on the streets and, and we eat together and we socialize together and we go to each other's programs. Um, and uh, so it's a really great place to, to be Jewish. I don't know, that's a really, a, a really rambly and short history <laughs> of Jewish Rhode Island and Jewish Providence, but there you have it. It's good, it's good. Um, I was recently in Providence, um, surprisingly, to see uh, the little black box theater, uh, the name escapes me. They um, uh -huh. had a performance, or several performances, of Sholomash's God of Vengeance, um, uh -huh. which was a great performance, but surprising to see something on stage in Yiddish in Providence. Right. Is, is that unusual? That's pretty unusual, yeah. Um, there are a few Yiddish, as we say here in Providence. Um, I'm one of them. Um, but there really aren't, aren't that many. Uh, you know, I, I'm told that until a few years ago, there was a Yiddish class at the conservative synagogue, um, mostly with the older crowd, um, they learned, you know, basic vocabulary and basic grammar. They didn't learn the alphabet, so they learned it in transliteration, but it was, it was a lot of fun. It was very meaningful for them. And ever since we moved here two years ago, um, I've been, there, there have been rumors going around that I'm going to teach a Yiddish class. Not, you know, whether I would teach a Yiddish class, but I've sort of been informed that I'm going to. So, uh, so this fall, I'm actually going to start teaching Yiddish at the conservative synagogue. Um, but that's, you know, it's not a very well-developed thing. Um, last year, I taught a class on Yiddish music and Jewish identity at our synagogue, and, and that, again, it was a very unusual thing to have a program in Yiddish. Um, we recently did a concert of Yiddish music, a few concerts of Yiddish music at our synagogue. One was devoted to Mali Kikan, um, and, and I think you know people in the community are getting excited, um, honestly, because I'm here and I'm a young guy who's fluent in Yiddish. I speak Yiddish with my son. 
um, recently at Brown Hillel at the, at the university. They've been trying to launch a Yiddish club. I was sort of involved with that. Um, but, you know, that also has been very slow getting off the ground because of scheduling issues and students are busy and, and all these different things going on. Um, you know, so there, there are individuals in, in Providence who are interested in Yiddish. Um, but in terms of a real thriving community where you could have shows regularly in Yiddish and regularly have a bunch of people getting together to speak Yiddish, um, that's not, you know, quite what it is. And, and I think it's not unusual that that's, you know, our situation because that's the situation most places. No, I don't. I, I I don't think that that's surprising to hear. I think it's interesting, and one of the things we're hoping with this series is to begin to reveal some of the cultural opportunities, et cetera, in in the cities where alumni live, because you seem to seek them out. So, on that track, I'm going to ask you: um, Is there a favorite Jewish eatery? A favorite Jewish what? Eatery? Is there anywhere that you eatery. go? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so, so actually, Providence is this great community. If you keep kosher, um, thanks to the young modern Orthodox rabbi Barry Dollinger, um, he had this idea when he came here a number of years ago um, that there were all these great vegetarian vegan restaurants in Providence or very very close to Providence, and with very minimal. Uh, effort, they could convert their kitchens over to being completely kosher because they're already vegetarian and vegan. Um, and, and Rabbi Dollinger in particular um, has this whole uh, thing where he uh, holds that um, most cheese does not have to be extra to be kosher, so that was, you know, and, and that's widely accepted within the Orthodox community here, and so you know, that was a hurdle that was not very difficult to overcome. So we have um, a really great uh, kosher uh, Jewish sandwich shop called Garden Grill, which is actually in Pawtucket. It's right over the border of Providence. Um, and they have sandwiches. They have uh, gourmet pizza. They have um, fancy appetizers. And just a few doors down from there is then the kosher bakery, which is also a, a vegan bakery called Wildflower that just recently expanded. Um, downtown, there's uh, kosher, vegetarian, uh, actually vegan, I think, vegan Pan-Asian place called Veggie Fun, which does delivery and, and you can eat there. Um, and then there's a really fancy hipster place called The Grange um, where, you know, they don't have a men's room and a women's room. They have a, a door with, you know, a beetle on it, and then they have a door with a butterfly on it. And, you know, they, you, you decide whether you feel like a butterfly or a beetle that day, I guess. Um, you know, and it's all kosher. Um, uh, and, and actually, just last summer, they opened up a new place um, by Chloe, which also has franchises in other places, um, which is a vegetarian uh, fake burger joint um, that's really exciting. So on one hand, if you're a meat eater, then there isn't really anywhere to go get, you know, a kosher meat meal in Providence. But there are plenty of places for getting really good vegetarian and vegan food, and because they weren't established as kosher restaurants, they were established as really good, really gourmet vegan and vegetarian places that now happen to be kosher. Um, they're, they're very, very successful. They 
are populated not just by the Jewish community, but by the non-Jewish community. Um, as I mentioned, the bakery Wildflower just expanded. They bought out the Dunkin' Donuts that was next door to them and, and uh, more than doubled the size of their franchise. So, um, so that's all really exciting for, you know, for people who keep kosher here. So also part of the idea behind the series is to surface information and get an insider's perspective. Is there mm-hmm. one uh, thing at the bakery that you recommend if somebody's dropping in? I would get the uh, chocolate chip cookie dough cupcakes, mm. which are really good. It's it's a chocolate cupcakes with a core of cookie dough, and then it's covered in frosting, and then there's a chunk of a chocolate chip cookie in the frosting just sort of sticking up the top. Um, so I really like that. Rhode Island culinary thing that I never knew about until I came to Rhode Island was this thing called pizza strips which is basically pizza but without cheese. So you get the bread and you get the sauce, and then maybe there will be toppings on top of the sauce. And that's a really big Rhode Island thing. So they used to have that at Wildflower um, last summer. Then they got rid of it during the the rest of the year. Um, I hope they bring them back because they were really good. I really liked them there. Um, But that and the the chocolate chip cookie cupcakes, those are my my go-tos there. (laughs) And if you were going to suggest an itinerary, can I ask you to name sort of three must-sees or unexpected finds or what have you? And it can, you know, range from a place to hear interesting music, uh, theater, where to eat, where to go visit a historic site. Yeah. Not necessarily Jewish stuff. Um, Jewish would be great. Jewish but, would but, be great. Yeah, it would be great, but otherwise, give, throw, toss it out there. Yeah. Um, well, um one thing I would say is that the uh, synagogues here have very active programming. Um, I belong to the conservative synagogue, so I can tell you at least there um, we're often having concerts, film showings. Um, we have uh, a lecture series where we bring in guest scholars from from around the country to come in and talk. Um, so you know those are all things which are open to the public. Um, the Reform Temple also, and the Orthodox Synagogue also, all three of them have programming. So I would certainly uh, check the calendars to see if anything's going on, on the, at the synagogues because they have great programming. Um, other things to, to do, you know, if you're coming to Rhode Island generally, uh, visiting Newport and visiting the Torah Synagogue is really cool. Um, and not just the synagogue there, but in Newport there are all these old mansions and there's you know, the water, the beach, um, there's a, a really great path for running and, and walking and biking um, in, in Newport. Um, so that I would recommend. Um, and visiting the kosher restaurants. You know, the kosher restaurants are uh, an unusual thing that we have here, and they're also really, really good. Um, so, yeah, if you like art, the, the RISD School of Art and Design is here in Providence. They have a museum that showcases student art, and uh, the music school at Brown University is always doing concerts and musical theater, um, so that's all fun to see. Great. And and while you're there, um, your family, I before mm-hmm. you go, I wanted to ask you, you are raising your child in Yiddish, yes? Yes. Which is exciting, and I imagine an undertaking a bit, yeah? Yes, it certainly <laughs> is. Um, and how's it going? 
It, it's going well. Um, our son is is three. He turned three in April, and um, he's you know he's a native Yiddish speaker. I speak Yiddish with him. My wife initially spoke only English with him. Now she's been learning some Yiddish, and so she's really been making an effort to speak more Yiddish with him. You know, it's amazing how much you can learn from listening to Yiddish bedtime stories every night for three years and, you know, singing Yiddish lullabies every night for three years. Um, so she's really picking up on a lot. Um, but it's, it's an undertaking. It's difficult. There aren't other kids in Providence who speak Yiddish. Um, you know, we're, we formed a, a play group with a few families in Massachusetts, um, uh, about a year and a half ago, um, which was great, you know, for about a year. We haven't really been doing that much the past year, though we've been trying to get it back up again. Um, you know, so there have definitely been challenges. Um, he's at this age now where he really can speak a lot of Yiddish, and he understands a lot of Yiddish, but he's discovered, as many kids do, that the majority language, English, is much easier for him to speak than his minority language, and so he prefers not to speak Yiddish, and oftentimes he'll, he'll insist to me, he'll yell at me in Yiddish that he can't speak Yiddish, um, and or or he'll, you know, he'll he'll get really frustrated and he'll say to me in Yiddish, "Can you help me to say that in Yiddish?" And then I'll help him, and then maybe he'll say it, maybe he won't. But it's it's an adventure, um, but it's also very exciting because uh, you know I I didn't grow up speaking Yiddish at home. So this has been a real opportunity for me to discover uh, modern Yiddish culture um, and modern meaning not before the Holocaust in Eastern Europe, but meaning in the 21st century on YouTube, um, on, you know, websites, you know, full color picture books that are being printed, you know, in the 2010s. Um, You know, it's, it's been really interesting to to explore all of that and to see what's out there it's really uh transformed a lot of my uh previous conceptions of what yiddish is and what yiddish culture is and what yiddish children's culture is um really opened my eyes to a lot of stuff even about the history of yiddish that you know i i had no idea um that it was really a living language um with so much going on so uh, I guess a hidden secret of the Jewish world. Well, it's very exciting, and it, it's always exciting to hear what our alumni are doing. Um, and for our listeners, if you happen to be in Providence uh, ordering the, I believe I'll get this right, the chocolate chip cookie dough muffin and somebody speaking Yiddish to you out with a child, chances are it might be Sam. That's probably me. <laughs> there, there are a few other young Yiddish speakers here um, at the, at the univers- students at the university. Um, but uh, it's a small world here. Ah. Well, um, Sam, thank you so much for taking time to visit with me today and for sharing oh, your thoughts. You. Um, and for everybody out there, if you're headed towards New England this summer, definitely stop in Providence, check out Newport with the Truro Synagogue, and um, we hope to see you here at the Yiddish Book Center sometime soon. All right? Great. Thanks again, Sam. Right. Take care. Yeah, thanks, Lisa. Yeah. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to The Schmooze, a production of the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts. My name is Carol Renard, NEH Oral History Project Coordinator. 
For more information about this podcast and to subscribe, visit YiddishBookCenter.org. While you're there, I recommend listening to episode number 141, Lisa Newman's March 31, 2017 conversation with Alan Kaufman on kosher pickles in the Lower East Side. Until next time, be well, be healthy. Zeigazent.